Hi, and welcome to Kindy Week in Review, your weekly look at all that's news in the world of kids' music and beyond. I'm your host, Stefan Shepard, and because I'll be busy this week and won't be able to get around to recording a brand new podcast, I am taking the lazy way out and doing a clip show. Well, clip show is kind of generous because I'm not actually editing these clips. These are going to be full, unedited recordings of three bake sale conversations I've had recently. They're all for projects that will be drawing to a close in the relatively near future. First, it's Laura Doherty, Chicago area musician. Second, it's Ann Taralba, aka Little Miss Ann, also a Chicago area kindy musician. And then finally, it is Lori Berkner, a New York City area kindy musician. So all these projects are coming up to a close fairly quickly. Laura Doherty's is closing uh, today, Thursday. It'll be today when you hear this. Uh, Andrew is closing on Saturday, and then you still have about a couple, probably a week and a half or so before Laurie Berkner's ends. Anyway, I've been doing a lot of conversations over on the Bake Sale podcast, and for those of you who haven't subscribed, I do encourage you to seek those out over on iTunes or just find them on the website. But uh, I enjoy talking with all three women recently, and I thought you might enjoy hearing them as well if you haven't. So if you have, in fact, heard these conversations on the Bake Sale podcast, you can just skip to the end and delete this. Uh, There's nothing new But if you haven't heard any of them, or if you've only heard some of them, stick around. So like I said, it's Laura Doherty, Ann Taralba, and Lori Berkner. And as always, if you have any questions, please send me them via zooglobal at earthlink.net. Rate and review the podcast in iTunes. You can check out the page notes for the show, and I'll still have all the standard links to all the kids' music charts, and I will talk to you with a regularly scheduled podcast next week. Thanks. And here's Laura and me. Hi, and welcome to Bake Sale, the show featuring conversations with Kickstarter and other crowdfunding creators about their kid-friendly projects. I'm talking today with Laura Doherty. She's a kids' musician from Chicago, and she is using Kickstarter to help raise the funds for her third album of kids' music, In a Heartbeat. I really enjoyed her first two albums. They're great for... uh, Preschoolers especially, so if you've got four- and five-year-olds around the house, they're just really sweet folk pop tunes. And so when I saw that she was raising money for her third album, I thought she would be perfect for this show. So, Laura, welcome to the show. Thanks, Stefan. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. So uh, a little, um, I guess, background for listeners. Um, yeah. how, did you, how did you get into kids' music? Uh, well, I, uh, started working at the Old Town School of Folk Music in Chicago back in 1998, and at that point I was, um, doing music just more of, as a hobby. I was, uh, uh, I was writing some song, doing, I was doing the singer-songwriter thing, um, for fun, and, uh, once I discovered the Old Town School, I thought this is a place... I'd love to work. (laughs) So I ended up, um, I did a lot of volunteer work over there and then I ended up landing a job in their kids department and, um, started teaching wiggle worms, which is their early childhood program. I 
yeah. I'm curious, yeah. how do they, uh, because I, you know, I was talking last week with Little Miss Ann about her project, and she has also uh, worked at the Old Town School, and I know, and I, you and I both know, I believe, uh, Chuck Cheeseman, who used yes. to work there yeah. and uh, lived here in Arizona for a while and now is out in Portland, Oregon. What do they, what do the folks at, and and, and I know that... <laughs> You you have a lot a lot of experience with the Wiggle Worms program. What do what do they look like? What do they look for when they are trying to find teachers for that program? Yeah, yeah, uh, well, yeah. Because I I was the director of the program for about ten years, so I did I did all the hiring um, during between like ninety eight and two thousand nine. Um, yeah, I mean, what I always looked for was. Um, uh, you know, it's it's funny because it's hard to find someone coming through the door that has the exact experience experience of working with one and two year olds. <laughs> didn't find that that often. <laughs> um, so, you know, if people had an education degree, that was a bonus. Um, you you didn't necessarily have to have a music degree. If you did, it, it helped. Um, but I look for people that were really animated. Um, even theater background, people with theater background were always a really good fit for Wiggle Worms. Um, and, you know, the people the people had to go through an audition process, and I could kind of tell right off the bat when they come in if they're going to be good with, with kids. So it's a, it's a very unique type of job. Um, but there's just there's some wonderful teachers in the program, you know, and it's, a, it's, it's not a revolving door job. It's a job people stay at for years. Yeah, and and I will just uh, note for listeners, uh, there are I believe two albums that the Wiggle Worms program uh, has released, and and they're both excellent. I I highly recommend both of them, especially if I had to choose, I would I would pick the first one, but but uh, which I think is just titled Songs for Wiggle Worms. But he, but the yeah. second one, Wiggle Worms uh, Love You, uh, also very good. So just as a digress yeah. digressive shout out those are those are two really good uh early childhood albums of songs yeah well yeah and actually that's that's how i kind of got into recording my own kids music is i was working on um wiggle worms love you with old town school i co-produced that one and that's where i met um the producer there rich rankin he owns a studio here in chicago um, and we had so much fun working on that record together. And that's when I, it kind of dawned on me, you know, maybe I should try writing some of my own children's <laughs> songs. <laughs> I've been working with kids for, for several years, um, before I started writing for kids. So, um, yeah, my first song actually came from, uh, I wrote it while I was riding the train, the L train downtown mm -hmm. and I had a gig and I was running a little late for it. We were doing these shows in Millennium Park down by the lakefront. And I had all this nervous energy because I was you know, running a few minutes late. <laughs> and I started singing this little song about the L train. And I, I thought, oh, this might turn into a song. So I got home and really worked on it and wrote down the lyrics. So that, that's how my first children's song was born. <laughs> wow, being on your way to a gig. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and so has that, has that process become easier for you, uh, learning how to um, craft a song? 
Um, yeah, I mean, I, I haven't written any other songs on trains, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, what's really helpful is I, I spend I, I spend half my time in the performing world and then half my time teaching. So I teach in preschools and also I continue to teach wiggle worms. So it's, it's really nice that I'm, I see kids every week and, you know, sometimes they give me ideas for songs. Um, and I can, uh, when I have a new song, I can test it out and play it for them and, and, and kind of mold the song. You know, sometimes it'll start out as one thing. And then, you know, as soon as you present it to a class, you know, all of a sudden you'll see what works and, and see, you know, how you can change it a little bit and make it more fun for the kids. Um, yeah, but I, songwriting doesn't, doesn't come easy to me. Um, it's the, the songs, this, this new record I have coming out, these songs are written over the course of at least two years. So some of them are songs I've been singing for I have a song called Domingo the Flamingo that it almost feels like it's been recorded. I've been singing it for two years now, but it's going to be on the new record. Um, yeah, and then actually I was living in New York last year for about seven months, and I and I did some songwriting there, too. So, yeah. Do you, is there a particular age range that you enjoy performing more than, than others, or they all enjoyable but in slightly different ways um yeah i mean i would say my sweet spot or the the, the age group that i love and feel most most comfortable with is six and under um but i find i play at a lot of libraries you know and i i find that there's always older siblings that come you mm -hmm. know eight nine ten year olds um and you know when i write i i i really kind of I'm sort of thinking about a two, three, four, five-year-old because um, that's the kids that I mostly see in the classroom. You know, I mean, Wiggle Worms actually starts at age six months, so I, I see a lot of uh, one- and two-year-olds during the week. Um, but so I'm always pleasantly surprised when, um, like, I played at, a, at an elementary school a couple years back, and there was a whole group of fourth graders that knew every word to my songs. And I thought, oh, wow, okay. Wow. <laughs> and I find 10-year-olds, they, they were making up dances to the songs. <laughs> so that made me really happy um, <clears throat> when, you know, when a little bit older kids like my stuff. And I think this new record maybe skews a, a tiny bit older. Um, there's some, uh, there's some more, a little bit more introspective songs on this one. Um, it's called, it's called In a Heartbeat, and there's a title track on there called In a Heartbeat. Um, and I have a song about uh, being shy. It's called It's Okay to Be Shy, because um, I, was, I was really shy when I was a little kid. So, and I, 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 always hear, I hear parents say that a lot. Oh, my son or daughter is so shy. And I just thought, you know, let me write a song for those kids, because <laughs> I... I, I I never thought it was a good thing to be shy when I was a kid. I just thought, oh, okay, this is what I'm branded with. <laughs> right. And it wasn't until I was an adult that somebody came up to me once at a place that I worked and said, oh, you know, you're really shy. And I said, yeah, you know, I've heard that my whole life. And she said, I think that's a good thing. And that was the first time someone had ever said that to me. <laughs> so I started to embrace it. Yeah, it's okay to be shy, you know. 
Um, I mean, I think I've mostly grown out of my shyness now, but <laughs> yeah. it takes a while sometimes. Yeah, you know, I, I, and maybe you've read the book. Have you read the book Quiet by Susan Cain? I haven't, so I'm going to write that down. <laughs> and and that is, she is a shy person, but uh, she's written this whole book using a well-researched book, which argues uh-huh. that uh, American society especially tends to value extroversion over introversion, and that's right. not always necessarily a good thing. And so mm-hmm. that there are there are positive traits associated with uh, shyness and introversion that um, because the culture tends to uh, prize self-expression <laughs> over uh, right. pe- people who are not, that that uh, tends to um, skew some decisions in certain ways. Yeah, well, because especially in the wiggle worms classes, I get a lot of kids coming in that they don't make a peep for several weeks, and and I was. I always tell the parent, you know, oh, your child, he's observing everything that's around him. And, you know, because a lot of times it's a new situation where they've never even been around other kids, you know, if, especially if it's a, you know, a, an 11-month-old. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> so, and I think they're take, you know, some kids, you know, are social butterflies and, and some kids are more, um, uh, yeah, observing, observing what's around them and then, when they parents always tell me they get in the car and all of a sudden their kid starts babbling and singing and and so yeah so I think it's it, interesting it, you know different personalities for different kids <laughs> it's a good book it's it's a quick read so okay I'll check it out so uh, a little bit more than uh, talk let's talk a little bit more about the process of recording in in the the updates you've you've sent out to uh, to folks through the Kickstarter campaign and I should mention. As always, you can find – I'll have a link to the campaign itself uh, for the uh, show notes for this podcast. But you can also just go to Kickstarter and search on Laura Doherty, and it'll you'll be able to find that easily there. But uh, you've brought in a, a bunch of uh, folks to help you out with the album. Um, so why don't you talk a little bit about who you've corralled into helping you out? Yeah, uh, you mean as far as who's recorded? Yeah, yeah, and yeah, musicians. Um, yeah, sure. Um, well, yeah, one exciting guest I've had come on is the drummer from Wilco, uh, Glenn Kochi. So that was a total thrill to have him come in. He's he's right here in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I met him actually at the Old Town School. He he brought his his kids his kids came to my class, my Wiggle Worms class. So that's how I met him and his wife and his kids. And um, and yeah, I asked him if he wanted to play on a track, and he was um, he he said yes and came in. And so he's going to be playing on a track called Drum Kit, <laughs> um, which is things about all the different parts of the drum kit. Um, so yeah, I was really thrilled to have him come in. It was really fun. Um, and then there's a, a banjo player from a local band here called the Hen House Prowlers, a, a really fun uh, bluegrass band. Um, and then uh, a lot of my regular guys that play with me, um, uh, Rob Newhouse on lead guitar, he's a great Chicago player, um, Michael Rando on drums, and my friend Andy Wilkins on bass. 
Um, and my friend Kat Tager, uh, who I've been singing with for years, we, we were in a, a folk rock band called Sweet Hello, and we put out two records, adult grown-up records. <laughs> um, and then I asked a bunch of Wiggleworms teachers to come in as well, and that was fun. We did kind of like a gang vocals or crowd vocal <laughs> thing on a few songs. Uh, let's see, I hope I'm not missing anybody. And then, um, and my producer, Rich, he's wonderful. He also adds his little touches to the record. He plays mandolin and ukulele. And um, so we're, we're, we work really well together. And um, yeah, so a lot of, a lot of Chicago folks. Yeah. I, and <laughs> I know you weren't in New York city for for a long time but i'm wondering uh, my sense is that the chicago area music scene is fairly tight-knit or very supportive and i don't and not maybe just the sort of the kids scene but the music scene generally um that's my perception from from a distance would you agree or disagree? Or... Uh, no, totally. I agree. Totally. Um, I mean, Old Town School of Folk Music itself is is such a great community. Um, I mean, it's a huge school. There's six thousand students that go there, over two hundred teachers. But we're also it's also very close. It's like a family there. Um, and yeah, that's where I've met most of most of the people that I had just mentioned that play on the record. Um, and yeah, I've always said Chicago's just a great music town. Um, I mean, there's you can see any kind of music any night of the week here, and everybody's supportive of each other. Um, you know, I mean, New York has a great community too. I was actually living just outside New York City um, in Westchester County, where I grew mm-hmm. up, which was um, which was great. It was a fun adventure, and I had always wanted to um, spend some time back where I grew up. And I actually worked at two great preschools out there, um, but it, it was it was tough to kind of start my career over <laughs> out there. So um, I decided to move back. To, you know, I miss Chicago, so I actually I decided to move back here, um, and I think this is I'm on the right path. <laughs> um, Chicago yeah. Chicago's a great city. You know, just sort of having visited and um... yeah, I mean, I I have love for for both. New York and Chicago. It's, I sort of have split split love for both of those <laughs> cities, <laughs> and um, you know, and actually through the Kindy community, um, you know, I made some great friends at, at Kindy Fest, and um, and those were people that were that were very supportive when I was out there, and we played some gigs together, and so so yeah. But I even though I grew up in New York, I, I feel like Chicago is really now my home. <laughs> and it took me to, to go out there to figure that out. So sometimes you need to take those journeys in life. Um, but I, yeah, I, I, I'll always have big love for New York. I always go back and visit a couple times a year. Um, and it afforded me the opportunity to, to play some shows out there in Philly and Boston and places that I had always wanted to drive to and not always have to get on an airplane. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a good adventure. Um, but I'm happy to be back in Chicago. Cool. So um, I want to talk a little bit about the the campaign itself. And you know, listeners, if, if you're in a, I mean, the, the rewards that you're offering, a lot of them, you know, are fairly standard for a music project. So, you, you know, you can, you can get the 
You can get songs or an entire CD or album or multiple al- the the back albums, the back catalog, as it were, of of Laura. Uh, one of the, the things I did want to talk just a little bit about were, um, and this is you can see the reference to this in the video, and you you talked a little bit about this earlier here, but um, for fifty five dollars you get the CD, the new CD, plus a full set of four nifty collector buttons, including Jazzosaurus, Domingo the Flamingo, and I guess a couple others. And are those uh, animals uh, inspired by by songs? Yeah, uh, they are. Um, yeah, Jazzosaurus is a baby dinosaur. Uh, well, he's a puppet, um, but you know, to the kids, he's real. <laughs> um, and he, he comes out at most of my shows and in the classroom and the kids just go nuts over this, this jazz, this jazzosaurus puppet. And now, so I, so I ended up writing a whole song about him. I thought he deserved his own song <laughs> and he plays a little tiny saxophone, which really just came from, I was, at the studio and my producer had this little plastic tiny saxophone and I said, Oh, that's so cute. I think Jazzosaurus would like to play that. (laughs) (laughs) So, and it was like a little, you know, little prop that he got. And, uh, and so, and so that ended up being in the song. So it's just interesting how like things organically can end up in songs. Um, and then Domingo the Flamingo, um, is a, he's a pink flamingo. He's actually a beanie baby. My mom used to collect Beanie Babies back when they were hip to collect. Right. What? They're <laughs> and, not? Uh-oh. <laughs> or maybe they still are. But so, and they, my parents live in Florida, and so she had this flamingo, and, and she said, oh, you know, you can borrow any of these Beanie Babies you like. So I, I, took, to me, I took him, and I wrote a song about him. Um, and I actually tend to write a lot of songs down in Florida because it's, it's just me down there. It's not a lot of distractions. It's very quiet. And so Domingo, the Flamingo, uh, is there, there's a whole song about all the days of the week and his favorite day is Sunday. Cause in Spanish, Domingo is Sunday. <laughs> and, uh, and actually then there's, I wrote one about, um, a song called Wooly Bear, which I wrote when I was out in New York, um, about, it's about those little fuzzy caterpillars Oh yeah, um, yeah. Which I, I don't, I haven't seen those in the Midwest. They're they're black with a, with black striped with a little orange stripe in the middle. Mm-hmm. And um, I used to see them when I was little, living in New York. And then I started to see them. They come out around this time of the year in the fall. And I was actually up visiting Dean Jones up by Woodstock area because we were, we were talking about maybe recording together, but then the timing didn't work for me because I was moving back to Chicago. <laughs> but anyway, we had a nice visit and I was standing in his driveway and I said, Oh, there's that fuzzy caterpillar. You know, I keep seeing them. And he said, it, it was exactly, exactly a year ago that I was up there. And he said, Oh, he goes, that's the woolly bear. <laughs> and I said, that's such a funny little name for a, you know, caterpillar. <laughs> so there's going to be, I wrote a whole song about a, about a woolly bear having a funny name but we love him just the same. <laughs> so yeah, all these animal characters are going to be on the record. I, I almost thought of calling the album, you know, 
all my animal friends. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, there's some other songs on there too. They're not animal songs, but um, yeah, I, I don't know. Did I even answer your question? It, it did. It did. It just sort of seemed like uh, um, Jazzosaurus and uh, Domingo the Flamingo had some backstory that I was just interested in hearing more about. So yeah. and that I did. And then I decided to put them on the cover because they're, the, those two songs, especially Domingo the Flamingo, that has become a, a real favorite. That song's been around for a couple of years now. So I thought, you know what? They're going to grace the cover of the CD. <laughs> and I had my um, very, a good friend of mine is just doing the, the graphic design. So, yeah. Cool. You know, I, I, I just had one more question and this is more a little insider baseball i suppose than um and that is you uh raised money for your last album i believe through indiegogo correct yeah Mm -hmm. and so i'm just curious as to what you see the differences uh you know good bad whatever between the indiegogo process and and the kickstarter process for, for you as a as a creator Right. Um, well, yeah, this time I decided to go with Kickstarter. Um, I, I got the advice that there, there's more people use Kickstarter. So I thought, okay, let me try and let me try this out. Um, I mean, and I, Indiegogo was great. I had, they, they were wonderful to work with. Um, I mean, the, one of the differences is I was raising 5,000 last time and now I'm raising, attempting to raise 10,000. Um, I mean, really, when it's all said and done, to make a quality record costs between ten and fifteen thousand when you factor in promoting the record. Right. <laughs> so I thought it's definitely a lofty goal, but I thought, you know what, I'm going to go for it. Um, yeah, I'm. I mean, I'm still. I'm in the, still in the middle of the campaign, so um, I have a week left. And, uh, yeah, I'm. You know. Really Really hoping to get to the goal. Um, one thing about Kickstarter that's a little nerve-wracking is that if you don't raise the money, if you don't raise, if you don't meet your goal, you don't get any of the money. Whereas in Indiegogo, if you don't, if you don't meet your goal, you get a portion of the money. So, well, definitely a little bit more of a risk there. Um, and uh, yeah, but I like the, I like the format of Kickstarter. I like um, it's very you know slick and the uh, you know easy to work with like the templates and stuff like that. So so I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Um, yeah, I, I, I always I, say, oh my gosh, this is the last time I'm ever going to do this. <laughs> but you know, I, um, I I have faith. I am confident. Um, I'm just reaching out to everybody I know, and I I'm. You know, I've raised thirty. I think I've raised thirty-six hundred so far. So I've got a little ways to go, but um, I'm just crossing my fingers. <laughs> yeah, and 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 I did. I saw some other campaign where they said recently, and maybe or maybe they were just quoting a Kickstarter campaign that something like eighty percent of projects that get past twenty percent funded uh, end up getting fully funded. So. Well, that, that, that makes me feel good. <laughs> okay, that's statistic. Cool. Um, yeah, and I think, and I, I think people do, you know, kind of wait till the end, you know, which makes it harder. But I, last time when I did Indiegogo, I had a, a, some people, like, right when it ended, they said, oh, I, I, can I still donate? <laughs> so um, I think maybe that should be a strategy for me is to really just put those last couple days 
you know, really tell people, okay, this is ending now. So if you were thinking about it, now is the time. time. Yeah. It's kind of like what they do on public radio, right? They, I should follow. They always have good speeches on public radio for, for (laughs) donating. (laughs) So yeah, we'll, um, we'll see how it all pans out, but, uh, I'm, I'm hopeful and, uh, it's it's, hoping that it's all going to, come together in a week it ends october 17th next thursday so (laughs) great great so laura if listeners want to find more out more about you uh besides going to the the kickstarter campaign itself where are the best places for them to find you online yeah um my website is lauradohertymusic.com um and i I kind of have an uncommon spelling of my last name, D-O-H-E-R-T-Y. Or you can go to uh, my Facebook music page. Um, I'm also on Twitter. Uh, my handle is Laura Dora. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, those are the best places to find me. Great. Okay. Well, Laura, I really appreciate you taking the time today to talk with me about uh the campaign and your musical life in general. Um, best of luck on the campaign. Thank you so much, Seth, and thanks for having me. It's great talking to you. Sure. And listeners, as always, if you have any questions, please feel free to shoot me an email, zooglobal at earthlink.net. Uh, if you listen via iTunes, please rate and review the podcast. And thanks, as always, for listening. Bye. Hi, and welcome to Bake Sale. The podcast featuring conversations with Kickstarter creators and their kid-friendly projects. I'm talking today with Ann Taralba, aka Little Miss Ann, Chicago area musician who has recently started a project to kickstart her fourth kids music CD, Follow Me. And so I'm going to be talking to her today about her her life as a musician for families and the Kickstarter project itself. And so, Anne, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me, Stefan. You're welcome. And so the first thing I just wanted to ask is um, you mentioned in your Kickstarter video that you were uh, your parents were, were uh, born in the Philippines, but uh, they emigrated here to the U.S. when you were one year old, and so you you mentioned that you grew up uh, loving the the folk songs of the United States. But I'm curious, uh, did you ever sort of get a sense of uh, Philippine music growing up? Um, actually, uh, I actually was born in the United States, and they immigrated a year before I was born. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm so, sorry. no, it's okay. I just wanted to clarify that because, um, actually, no, I've been pretty much immersed in American music. Um, and unfortunately, growing up in a suburb that um, I wanted to be more American, so I never really uh, immersed myself in the music of the Philippines. Except the only thing I really have immersed myself in is really the food. <laughs> so, but, uh, you know, we always kind of like fought when we were growing up, we fought that. And it wasn't until I was older that I really appreciated um, being Filipino. So right. it, I know yeah. that's, this is a, this is a large discussion in itself. So no, 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 uh, I understand. But, so, and I was going to say, you know, uh, 
my mom is actually German and my, my dad is actually Canadian. And so um, I think like you, I mean, if somebody were to ask me that same question, so did you sing lots of German music or Canadian music? Yeah, I suppose. Exactly. Um, <laughs> growing up, up and, <laughs> and and the answer would be no, not really. I mean, I, you know, it's actually funny. It's sort of like I probably had a much more uh, influential upbringing related to Germany and say in food than I did in music. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> food is the language of all all cultures. Yes. So. Yes. Yeah. And so. Uh, fast forward, so you've been doing uh, music for kids and families for nearly a decade. How did you, how did you get into that? Um, well, before I was a, a kindy musician, I was a special ed teacher. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm sorry, that was my phone. And um, I would just bring my guitar to this, the schools and play in, with the kids with autism or play, play with uh, kids in other classes for assemblies. And, um, and then when I had my daughter, I worked for like a couple of years as a special ed teacher, but I wasn't really feeling, feeling it. I felt like I was oppressing kids and not letting them um, express themselves. So I was kind of miserable and I decided that I wasn't gonna be a teacher anymore. So then I was like, what am I going to do? And I started just playing for kids in the neighborhood and families in the neighborhood. And then I started working at the Old Town School of Folk Music, which is the largest arts organization in the country. Wow. I, and, you know, yeah. I did not know that. It's, yeah. It's, there's some technical, like, I don't know exactly the terminology, but it's, it's one of the largest arts organization, if not the largest. It's something like that. So anyway. Um, and then anyway, I had a, a parent that was... Um, working for the Land of Nod, and she kept pushing me to make a CD. And uh, she handed me the Elizabeth Mitchell CD, and I really connected with that. And then I just made a CD with my husband, and not really knowing anything about that much about it. And um, it just got a, it got a pretty good reception. So then I just continued doing kids' music since then. That's pretty much the story. And... So I, I'm curious, uh, what was it, what was it about the Liz Mitchell CD that uh, resonated with you? Did it resonate with you as a parent or as a musician or both? And so I, how did that resonate? And then how did that yeah. sort of feed into what, how you make music? Well, that's such a good question. Mm-hmm. I really like the question. Um, because, uh, I just actually saw Dan Zanes and Elizabeth Mitchell at Old Town School this weekend, and I got to sing up on stage with them, and um, and I was just it brings me back always to how vulnerable you are when you're uh, a parent with a young kid, and I think when you just have that rawness with the guitar or just the rawness of the voice, it um, it just brings back a lot of um, that feelings of like when you're I don't know when you're younger but so for some reason Elizabeth Mitchell's voice just she just does a lot for me as a parent and as a musician it just brings out some really strong feelings and emotions and I'm really happy because I talked to her after the concert and I just enjoyed the concert so much and and she um said that she would be on my next CD follow me so oh. I'm like, yeah awesome <laughs> 
But I have to really have to say, I tried to, we did a little recording in our basement with my husband and um, our fiddle player, our keyboard player too. And I'm always like just in awe of Elizabeth Mitchell's music. And he's always like, you're not Elizabeth Mitchell. You have to be your own person. And I am, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit more, um, I play a little bit more rocking and, and I can't help but like just go a little bit more, you know, crazy. And she, I'm trying to like bring it down and try and, and I'm like, you're right. I love Elizabeth Mitchell's music, but again, I have my own style and, um, and, you know, as, as a musician, you always are like, oh, I want to sound like this. I want to sound like Elliot Smith or I want to sound like right. this. But, you know, you end up sounding like yourself. So. Right. Well, you know, in, in the end, sort of nobody's if somebody really wanted to hear Elliot Smith or Elizabeth Mitchell, they would just go listen to. Exactly. Yeah. Them. Well, that's one thing. You know, I don't know. I had invited you to this Windy Kinney Chicago Cooperative. And part of the reason I have been trying to build community is because I just feel like no matter if even if we all played, you know, you are my sunshine, we would no one would sound the same. And I think there's enough, you know, kids and families in Chicago for as many kids musicians to, to play. So I don't feel I feel like it's more important for us to build community than to have any sort of, um, you know, competition. So. Right. I mean, you know, there are um, yeah, there are more opportunities or at least the the trick is to create more opportunities than there are um, folks to fill those opportunities. Yes, I mean they're still very small, even as big as Chicago is, and um, there's so many exciting opportunities. There's still we're still only like you know I don't know thirty to a hundred kids musicians. I'm not sure, but it's still a small amount of people who do it, even in the city of Chicago. Yeah. So, um, accountants or veterinarians. <laughs> you know, so, I don't know. <laughs> so, so talking a little bit about the album that you are kickstarting for. So, have you? How far are you along in terms of writing, or possibly even uh, laying down some tracks for the album? Well, I have already pretty much written all the songs, and I have to. Um, I have to just kind of, I want to reach out a little bit and have get a little help with some, just some of the songwriting. But um, other than that, uh, we've played a lot of the songs at concerts. And so all we have to do is just go into the, you know, basically go and record it. So we haven't laid any tracks down yet, but um, we're very excited. And um, I'm kind of taking a little bit different approach than I have in the last three CDs. Um, I've always kind of done it backwards where a we didn't get to really know the songs as much and then we record so we recorded it and then we ended up playing it live and then I felt like we were getting to know the songs more but I'm taking a different approach where I'm trying to play some of these songs live so um we get comfortable with the songs so I, and then I, and then record them so how do you think you have changed as a musician, either as a musician or a songwriter or however, from when you first recorded your music like nine years ago to, to today. How do you think? Well, I think because I'm not, uh, I mean, no one really plans to be a kid's musician when they're growing <laughs> up. You just kind of fall into it. And 
I really, you know, I've got my master's in education and I really have spent my life as uh, mostly my adult life as a teacher. And so probably for the first four or five years that I was playing music, I didn't really um, own it. I didn't because I didn't think I was a musician because I didn't study music. It was kind of a rogue thing. And it really wasn't until I was invited that first year to a kindy fest when we saw each other mm-hmm. that I started to embrace myself as a kid's musician. Um, I don't know if that's just, uh, you know, honestly a lack of confidence, but as the years have got, gone on and I've gotten so many nice emails and so many nice conversations with parents and kids that my confidence has grown. And so a confidence that has helped the music a lot because now I have more focus and more um, of a motive Cool. I don't know if that makes sense. No, it, it, it does. And I think, obviously, the idea that some, as you note, so, you know, there, nobody, or if, if there are, there are very few people who, who dream growing up of being a kid's musician. Yeah, it's it's exactly. often something they fall, um, into. fall into. And, you know, I mean, sometimes they fall into it and they realize, you know, sort of fairly quickly that it's, what they were meant to do and sometimes they decide that it's not but you know obviously there are times when people are like i don't know if this is me and it sort of takes it takes a while to sort of figure out that and their role in that and so yeah that's that's true of probably a lot of things yeah I'm, i'm very happy that i figured out something that i love to do and that people seem to enjoy and so i'm happy that i was able to find that in my life with my husband too, because he plays the drums and does the artwork. So that's all. That's nice that we get to share that together. Yeah. So. So uh, yeah, I'm looking at your Kickstarter page, and I will note. I mean, if you search on Little Miss Anne, you can certainly on the Kickstarter page. You can certainly find it. I will definitely have a link, of course, to this project in the show notes for this particular episode. But uh, the. Uh, rewards are some fairly, I guess, common rewards. If you look at a lot of uh, music uh, projects, there's a, for five dollars you can get the CD download of the album. For ten bucks, you can get the signed CD, and you know there are increased levels beyond that. One of the pledge levels, though, that caught my eye was the one hundred and seventy-five dollar mm-hmm. level pledge, which was uh, it's where you pledge one hundred and seventy-five bucks. And uh, Anne will go and sing for a child at a Chicago hospital. So is this, which I think is a really cool pledge. Yeah. Uh, if somebody's I'm hoping people pledge, you know, do that too, because uh-huh. I want to do it. <laughs> and, and so, do you do that on a? Uh, I don't want to say on a regular basis, but uh, do you occasionally go into to hospitals and and perform for kids there? Yeah, I. Uh, you know, they opened this beautiful hospital in Chicago called Lurie uh, Children's Hospital, and I have played at, at that. And, um, you know, as a kids musician, I get asked a lot to um, to play uh, charities. And I felt that I needed, um, this year I felt that I needed a specific charity to really focus my attention. And so pediatric cancer is where, what I've, my causes or what my focus is and i just did a a free concert and we just raised a thousand dollars for st jude's research hospital um so i 
I do, I do try to do um, a couple, I try to give back basically. Uh, I feel like I've gotten so much from music and um, so many people have supported me. Um, I haven't not, I've not, not been busy since I started this field. And, uh, and, uh, and so I appreciate it and I want to give back basically. And so, um, is that Did I answer your question? I'm sorry. No, 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 no. That it, yeah. it does. Uh, a follow-up question related to that is, uh, how do you, how do you prepare for that sort of show? I, you know, which is, yeah. You know, I, obviously, you know, the kids are, uh, you know, kids are kids, and you know, ho- hopefully they're they're happy. But you know, there is obviously that sort of this difference between you playing at a at a food truck festival or, yeah. you know, at, you know, or wherever yeah. on. Well, I, you know, uh, um, well, music is really healing. I really believe that music is healing. Um, I don't really want, you know, want to go way into it myself, but I, I'm my, myself, I am a survivor myself of cancer. And so I, music has, has always been really important to me and has has healed, is very healing to me. And I really believe that, you know, music is can be just as powerful. I wouldn't say as medicine, but like, I wouldn't say don't take your medicine. But right. <laughs> I, I really believe that if they had music in hospitals and for adults and the elderly and children, um, access to music, they always have a TV that pe- people can watch. But they never have like like what you have on an airplane, like headphones where you have different stations. Or, you know, I just really feel that. And so that's why uh, when I go to play for the kids, I, you know, smiling and the joy that I see, it's, you know, I don't try to think of this, the sadness of it all. I try to think of the, you know, the joy that it brings and that, that it could be healing. Not to get all new agey on you. <laughs> no, no. Well, and, you know, uh, our daughter was, had to spend a, a couple days at a kid's hospital. Yeah. last year uh for a fairly relatively minor thing i think um and it so happened that there was uh somebody uh, a musician who was not from uh the area he was uh touring um i happened to be playing and so there was that oh wow that's there's a musician in my room playing yeah. whatever whatever song i want to hear and so I, that was sort of unique and but I like the idea of you know even if because obviously it would be hard to have musicians coming through constantly but you know just just the idea of having headphones or even if it were like a a music channel on the tv where you might be able to select from you know say a dozen different uh genres it seems like that would be that certainly couldn't hurt and would probably help certainly some uh kids or patients in particular well, at least, like, brighten someone's spirits. I mean, music, not everyone connects with music, but I think a lot of people do. And at least it might not, I mean, to have a good positive attitude, I think that music does help change the mood for some, a lot of people. So, I mean, even at a play, you know, like, with your own your own kids, I mean, sometimes, you know, you can it, they can be all grouchy and you put a certain CD in and it just changes, it changes the mood in the car or wherever. So, but, um, yeah, so anyway, that's, that's been great. And the next, um, 
I'm doing concert, a holiday concert for Ch Children's Advocacy Center. That's, you know, we tried to, we tried to do that one um, also, but um, that's more of a, a favor to a neighbor, but that's a really good organization too that we do charity concerts for. Great. But I do like, my favorite though is, you know, I do like playing somewhere with, you know, uh, a bar or a theater <laughs> that there's actual sound system uh, to bring it back to my, you know, ticketed concerts and the concerts that um, people come out to see. So I enjoy those too. <laughs> so what's, uh, and, and, you know, if for uh, political reasons, I understand if you don't want to answer this, but what's your favorite place to play in Chicago? Oh, um, I, uh, I was actually asked that the other, um, recently by a Chicago parent and I had to rack my brain and I have to say, I'm going to say two, can I say two? Sure. <laughs> okay. Old Town, where I work, I, you know, it's a, it's a wonderful, um, a hall. It's a wonderful concert venue. Um, it's just, it's large, but it's intimate. And the other one is called The Hideout. Have you heard of The Hideout? I've, I've probably uh, heard of just from yeah. like you and maybe some other <laughs> kids musicians. Yeah. yeah, it's a great place. It's it's a uh, you know we live in this big city, Chicago, but it looks like you know like a Wisconsin bar. It's like in the middle of like a hip neighborhood, though. And, 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 and the yeah. thing is, I know exactly. I know exactly sort of how. Wisconsin bar sort of strikes up a very specific image in my mind. <laughs> oh, it is that. Exactly. It's what you're thinking, you know. And um, they have uh, uh, they have this really great black party called the Hideout Black Party. And a lot of people have play there, like the Wilco and um, Mavis Staples and, you know, Swell Season. Anyway, so it's a wonderful venue, but it's, you know, it's not fancy at all. It's just, you know, as I said, you're getting your PBR and... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> but it's it's a great venue. But there's so many. The wonderful thing about Chicago is there's so many places to play. I mean, um, playing at believe it or not, Bloomingdale's downtown with um, on Saturday. Wow. And uh, you know, I've, I've played at like the Land of Nod, and when they had me play there, they said, "Oh, we thought there was going to be like 20 people there," and there you know there was uh, over 100 people there, and people are realizing that you know music brings people out and it's you know a great event to have in their um location no matter what it is so i'm playing some just different more untraditional gigs you know than i have in the past so which i think uh, is a good thing i mean i think that even just sort of people walking by oh well that's uh that's that's somebody playing for kids. What are all those? What are all those yeah. kids doing there? Yeah, and you know how expensive kids are, so it's like it's great when it's a free show and you know brings people in and people people love free music. So Good. that's it. So that uh, I'll tell you how that goes. After. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. So I haven't played it yet, but I'm sure it'll be fun. So uh, looking ahead, how uh, how long? Do you think it'll be before your album is ready? Um, well, I'm trying to say a longer period of time than what I think it might be. So I am going to say September of 2014. I know that sounds long, but um, we'll just pretend it's like an engagement or <laughs> like having a baby or something. A year. A year. <laughs> yeah, a year. Um, 
And it could, it, you know, possibly because they're they're more ready than I have been in the past. So I think it could be it could be shorter. So hopefully. Well, well, and certainly one of the things that I've certainly come to appreciate as uh, as I've sort of spent time in this kids music kindy world is that it it does take a lot of you know you can obviously get out an album very quickly if yeah. if that's your goal but it is also it does not take a lot of effort to spend more time you know just in terms of recording and you know okay well i you know oh we have an opportunity to get a, a guest artist and so it you know or um and yes, then sort of once yeah. you get all those tracks in then you know the the mixing and the mastering uh, that can take a lot of time, and then sort of uh, the the design of the of the packaging itself and the CD yeah. itself, and then sort of getting all your ducks in a row to, you know, regardless of whether or not you have a a PR person, just sort of thinking, okay, when am I going to release this, and how am <clears throat> I going to? In fact, if you don't have a PR person, it takes just as much time because then you have to sort of think about, okay, how am I going to get this record out to? To be for sale and how am I going to get it out for people to uh, hear it or, or maybe review it or what have you so I, I certainly <laughs> September does not if you had asked me 10 years ago yeah I'm, I'm I've got most of the songs written and I'm hoping to have an album released a year from now that would yeah. strike me as incredibly long and now it's yeah. like uh, you know she's she's just hedging her bets just a bit it, you know <laughs> yeah exactly exactly um I go through a range of emotions, you know, throughout that time, whether it's nine months or a year, because you just, it seems like such a mountain in front of you when you have all these ideas. But um, I like, I love the process. I, I just really enjoy the process of recording. Um, I enjoy playing out and I enjoy lots of aspect of music, but recording is its own, you know, you get your own satisfaction from that in a different way. Gratification, I guess, is the word. So I'm excited for it. Good. Well, Anne, uh, I've enjoyed talking with you. A best of luck here on the Kickstarter campaign. If listener, Many listeners may know where to find you, but for those who need a reminder or those who don't, um, where, where are the best one or two websites to find you? Sure. You can go to littlemissan.com or you can go to... Um, Little Miss Ann Facebook page or Hi Little Miss Ann Twitter Twitter um, page. So, but thank you so much for um, talking with me today. I appreciate it. And I, throughout this whole uh, interview, I've been like, I want to ask you a bunch of questions. <laughs> <laughs> So. Well, see, so so here's where, uh, so you, uh, maybe we'll do that. Maybe we'll have like some sort of follow-up where you, we'll have like a guest bake sale thing and you can ask me questions okay that sounds good um, to... yeah we'll, we'll we'll have to set that up so okay. uh sounds so great, great. Uh, again I, I i appreciate very much uh, you talking to me today thank you thank you so much i appreciate it too and have a great day thanks so, okay and listeners uh as always if you have any questions please please feel free to shoot me an email, zooglobal at earthlink.net. If you listen via iTunes, you can rate and review this podcast. It always helps to increase the visibility of these podcasts. And as always, thanks for tuning in. Talk to you soon. Bye. Hi, and welcome to Big Sale. 
the show featuring conversations with Kickstarter and other crowdfunding creators about their kid-friendly projects. Today, I'm lucky enough to have on the show Lori Berkner. Uh, I don't use the phrase kids music superstar very often. I try to parcel out my use of the phrase and the word superstar, but I think there is no doubt that Lori Berkner is in fact a kids music superstar. Having sold hundreds of thousands of albums of music for kids, especially preschoolers, but also uh, kids having exited the preschool age, uh, she is now using Kickstarter to um, help fund a album of lullabies. And so I'm going to be talking to her this morning about that album and the Kickstarter process and all the exciting things she's doing as part of that. So, Lori, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Great. So you're recording an album of lullabies, and I know that some of the lullabies you're going to be recording uh, are going to be lullabies of uh, that maybe you heard from your mom or your parents when you were a child. So regardless of whether or not you're actually recording them, what what lullabies do you remember your parents singing to you? Um, well, there are some that I'm going to put on the album that I remember well, which is um, one of them is just Hush Little Baby. That was a real kind of staple in our house. Another was um, the Riddle Song. Have you ever heard of that one? I, I have think- never heard of the Riddle Song. Well, you may have. It's also called um, I Gave My Love a Cherry. Does that make it sound? Uh, I, I've, I've heard that as an adult. I'd I, I, I never heard that as a child, but I've, I've heard that as an adult. Yeah, my mom used to sing that to me a lot. And um, actually, you know what was a real staple was uh, Twinkle Twinkle. Oh, <laughs> but yeah. I it's, already put that on an album. <laughs> it's a classic song. It's a classic song. Um, there are other ones. Actually, I also recorded one a while back called um, White Coral Bells that was one of my favorites when I was a kid. That yeah, was awesome. yeah. I remember yeah. that. So uh, what do you think makes a good lullaby? Hmm. That's a great question. I think there are a lot of different things. Um, I know when I was little, what I remember was kind of being soothed by both the, I don't know, just something very simple and also familiar about the song. I liked hearing them over and over. Um, I liked songs that, where I had images in my head that I could kind of imagine as I was falling asleep too, and ones that made me feel very safe. So were you thinking of that? You have written uh, at least one classic lullaby. I, I, I still sing moon, moon, moon. And you know, my, my younger son who is uh, eight, will still sing that song. Um, were you, when you write lullabies, and I know that uh, you are going to be writing some new ones for the album and you're going to be maybe revisiting some songs that you had previously recorded, but when, you've, when you're writing lullabies and when you've written them in the past, were you thinking about that imagery thing or was it more, I've got a great idea for a song and as you think about it, and work through it as a songwriter, you think, oh, well, that works well as a lullaby. Let's make sure it's slow or, or, or what have you. <laughs> um, it's different, different times. I mean, when I wrote Moon, 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 I didn't write it as a lullaby. I wrote it, I was, um, I was a music specialist. I remember 
actually trying it out in this one particular class. It, it was a daycare, and I would go in a couple times a week. And with the youngest kids, I was just looking for something really simple. And I had actually been out with a friend who had a two-year-old, um, and it was quite late, and he was holding him in his arms, and the moon was out. And as we were getting into our cars, the kid pointed up at the moon and just went, moon, moon, moon. Moon, moon, moon. And I thought, okay, that has to be perfect. Something, there's something in that. And so I kind of developed moon, moon, moon out of that and just tried it out with the kids in the daycare at who were that similar age, like two and three, and tried to make it so it was easy for them to say it. And it's actually been the people who have heard the song since I wrote it who tell me, just like you did, oh, this is a song we sing to our kids at night. So it's a... It's a, I don't know, it's not funny, I guess, but it's an interesting process to me, like how music develops and what it means to different people. Because when I actually have tried to write a lullaby, it's been more like when I'm, when I'm putting my own daughter to sleep, um, there will definitely be a couple on this album that over the years I just found myself making up songs while she was falling asleep or... Or while she was in the car and I wished she were falling <laughs> screaming, <laughs> trying to find anything to help her. Um, and now she's nine. So I still sing to her sometimes, but, I, um, you know, it, it's different. So those and so some of the songs that I'm writing right now are coming more just from what would I like to sing or what might I like to have heard when I was a kid. So I do think more specifically about those things. Yeah, I know that. There is, you know, there's comfort, um, obviously, to the child in, in hearing a lullaby, but there is also, I think, the comfort in, for the parent of singing a lullaby, that there's, the familiarity works for both the singer and the listener in terms yeah. of the repetitive nature of, okay, this is the ritual that I do. I sing such a song, you know, this song every night, or we sing these two songs, or we sing this song together. Um, it's very comforting. Yeah, I, I, it makes me think of two things. One is that um, when I started thinking about working on this album, part of the reason I think I never did one before is that I tend to write a lot from the child's point of view. And lullabies are most often sung to a child by an adult. And that's not doesn't tend to be how I write. So I never really felt that comfortable writing them before. And um, that some have come up for me over the years with Lucy. And I also felt like I could maybe combine some of those things and write some songs that are more like Moon, 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 where a child or a parent might want to sing them or sing them together. And um, so that was one thing I was thinking a lot about. How much of this album do I want to have songs that a child probably wouldn't sing to themselves, that just a parent would sing. Um, and then the other part of it um, that I was noticing was that, like, what, one, one song that I wrote recently, um, it's just called A Lullaby, and as I was singing it to myself and kind of working on it, thinking about how I would record it, I just found myself crying, and I realized... I guess it kind of just brought up all these feelings about putting Lucy to bed over the years, you know, and then my own, maybe my own memories even from when I was little. But the first line is, um, a lullaby is not goodbye. It only means I'll see you in the morning. And it, I think there's something in that also of that time of going to sleep is 
as a child can be, it can feel so intimate and wonderful. And I think for the parent too, but it's mixed with a lot of like separation and fear and, or potential separation. Is right. the parent staying? Is the parent leaving? The lights are off. What happens when I close my eyes? Can I let go and let my body really give in to sleep? You know, all of those things are, they're very, um, they're very deep and, and I don't know, very, it just touches something in me. Yeah, they're deep and mysterious and, yeah, you know, the people, I suspect that people remember those lullaby songs perhaps more so than they remember other songs, you know, uh, peppier daytime songs. I mean, they certainly remember those experiences, but I suspect that a greater percentage of those memories of singing with uh, parents or other adults or other siblings are those sort of are the lullaby songs, the songs you sing at night. Yeah. So, so uh, I, I know you you talk about this to some extent in the Kickstarter page and the Kickstarter video, which uh, listeners you can find certainly by searching on Lori Berkner at on the Kickstarter website. I will also certainly have a link to the project on the page for this particular episode. But uh, how long had you been thinking about making a lullaby album and then why Kickstarter for the process? Um, well, I've definitely been thinking about making a lullaby album for, I don't know, 10 years. I mean, a long, <laughs> <laughs> but partly from what I said before that I, I just never felt <laughs> like I knew exactly how to write them um, in a way that felt honest for me um, what, when Lucy, before Lucy was born, certainly, um, because it was that mix of kind of being a parent, which I wasn't yet 10 years ago, and, um, but also wanting to stay true to what I think I do well and what I think connects me a lot to the kids, which is to try to just capture something of their voices in what I am saying so that they can feel like it's really their music. Um, so, so I thought about it for a long time, but mostly because I would get tons of requests for it. You know, I would love to put your music on before my child goes to sleep, but they get so excited. They jump around and that's not what I want to have happen before bedtime, you know? Um, so a lot of people say that they'll sing one song or they'll put a couple songs on a, like a continuous repeat, <laughs> but, um, it just took me a while to really feel like I was ready. And I think also kind of having gone through that whole phase of when lullabies are the most important with my own daughter at this point, I kind of feel, I don't know, I just felt more connected to it. And for all the reasons, you know, that we've been talking about, it's felt like a very precious thing that I really want to do well. Um, and again, kind of want to give something to the parents and to the kids in a way that feels very important. So I'm just trying to do my best with that. But as far as the Kickstarter campaign, um, I decided to do it because, I mean, there are a lot of reasons, but I, I noticed a lot of kind of more high profile people, high profile people doing it and wondering why are they doing it? Why are they using Kickstarter? And I kind of went on and started looking and talking to people and, um, one of the things I noticed is that you can kind of set it up, which is what we've done pretty much exactly like a pre-sale. 
people pay in advance to get the album in advance of the general public. And, um, and then they also, but then I, I could add all this other stuff that actually I don't tend to do like on my website or anything. Cause a lot of it is service things. It might be like me signing the album or, um, coming and, you know, visiting your home or something like that. Things I wouldn't necessarily just kind of put out there that I would do all the time, but I could put it all together and get people excited about the album. And I also kept getting people asking me like kind of about the process of making an album. And I thought, well, if I do this where people are involved and they're interested in knowing I'm actually working on it while I'm working on it, rather than once I'm done and I start actually publicizing it, which is how I've done it always in the past, then I have a reason to actually kind of document what I'm doing and share it and a way to get it out to people who have actually expressed an interest in knowing. So that's another part of it is that we're doing a video journal every week and I'm kind of just taking little filming bits of what I do and trying to keep track of what my process actually is and share that along the way. And that also means I get to ask questions, which has been fun. Like, what songs do you want on the album? What kind of song would you like me to write? You know, things like that that I could ask those questions on Facebook, but um, it feels much more fun when it's kind of like a community of people doing it together. And it's been the most surprising part about this. I thought that would be kind of how it felt, but I wasn't sure if it would feel like a pre-sale or like people actually cared about what I was working on creatively. And people actually seem to care, which is really awesome. Yeah, no, I mean, it's sort of like, clearly, you know, you've got a huge community of some sort on on Facebook. You know, it is a community, but the community of people who are willing to put money up front before they've heard a sing literally a single note <laughs> Of the yeah, album, yeah. I mean that's that's an engaged group of uh, fans of listeners who are who I think can give you an even I don't want to say better quality of feedback, but it's certainly a more engaged feedback loop for you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I I think that was uh, it, it's funny because you introduced uh, your Kickstarter on the same day that a couple other artists introduced their Kickstarters for kids' music albums. And just this morning, I received two emails from an other kids' music artists who are intending to kickstart their albums uh, at some point in the future, either in the near future or, or somewhere down the line. So I, I feel like Kickstarter, at least in the kids' music community, I mean, there have always been some kids' music albums that have been kickstarted here over the past two or three years but i feel like there seems to be some increasing trend and tendency towards uh using it and i th i think it'll be interesting to see how artists use the kickstarter process I, the, the the process you're using in terms of having the weekly video chat seems very useful uh, i remember reading somebody saying once that you know the the Kickstarter dollar in the end goes away. I mean, you've, you've spent that and it doesn't come back, but the community that you can build uh, by using Kickstarter, that can always stay. And so uh, hopefully that process uh, really uh, helps you as you're recording. The, I mean, not that it should guide you necessarily, but uh, hopefully uh, having that engaged set of fans of, you know, the, the super fans who are willing to sort of spend money up front uh, will, will help that. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I already feel that. And I think, like you said, it's not necessarily guiding me, but everything that I do is is affected by how people respond to the music. I mean, I just remember making my first album, you know, it was a long time ago. <laughs> and I and I wanted there were so many things I wanted to do. There was no such thing as Pro Tools. <laughs> I recorded it on reel to reel tape. Wow. And I, I did it sat down with my guitar and sang at the same time and tried to, you know, and put some background vocals on. I called Susie in, she played live uh, piano and um, and Adam, who was a friend already at that point, and he came in and played upright bass on, oh, wait a minute, did he even play? I don't even know if he played on that album. Yes, he did, he did. <laughs> I mean, but that, and that was it. And I did it, I think, in like a weekend. I mean, it was just one of these things where I also listen back sometimes and think, oh my God, <laughs> wow, I can't believe I put something out that sounds like that. But, you know, that's sort of what it was. Anyway, I'm getting on, going on a tangent. The point was that I remember just try, just wanting to get the music down and thinking to myself, okay, just remember, Lori, this is for the kids. This is for the kids. This is for the kids. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be fantastic or great even. It just has to be something that gives them pleasure. Like, it doesn't have to be a great piece of art. It has to be something that you feel proud of and that they really like and that they have fun with and makes them like music, you know? And which was my point because I had just, I had been starting to teach preschool music and I just wanted them to have the music to take home, the kids in my classes. So, you know, it was just one of those things where I feel like when I think about the people who are listening, I really stay true to what I think I do best. You know, I'm trying to give them something. And if they're willing to receive it, that is thrilling to me. And I think that's, you know, that's really what I'm getting out of doing this in this Kickstarter way, because I get so much more feedback. It's not just kind of creating something and hoping that they're going to like it. You know, I get a little more information. It may be from lots of different people, but that's how I started. I would go and I was teaching all these classes and I would play songs for the kids that they didn't like them. They'd, you know, tell me <laughs> and I would change them. Be like, okay, well, that part's boring. Well, what do you want to sing about? I would ask them and that's, that made great songs. So, and, and I know that uh, we're going to have to wrap, wrap it up pretty soon here because you are uh, setting up there in the background. I haven't heard anything, uh, but um, <laughs> there's mice over here. <laughs> they're setting up for a video chat. And so, I, I mean, you have as part of your uh, project, your Kickstarter project, a bunch of rewards, and a lot of them are, are similar to what you might see in um, other music albums. You know, you can get copies of the, the album. Uh, they're, they're autographed by you. You know, the, the, the physical copies are. You can have concerts, you know, at the higher pledging levels. But one of the things that I think is uh, more unusual is the weekly video chat. And so we talked about that just a little bit earlier, but uh, maybe you can go into a little more detail about what you're going to be doing with that. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm kind of discovering it as I'm doing it, honestly. Um, but the idea is to be taking bits of footage um, throughout the weeks of this campaign and um, kind of introducing, using that footage, introducing the process of how I've been making this album and generally how I would make an album. I don't do it always exactly the same way, but um, it's not so different. Kind of going through the steps of how I might be inspired to write, 
what my process of writing would be, and then um, rehearsing in the studio what that's like, because a lot of that stuff is actually kind of happening simultaneously, and it's um, it feels a little bit confusing to me even, and I it's been very helpful to do this <laughs> video, to start thinking about the journal, and like, okay, how do I really go from point A to B to C to having an album? And um, so we're trying to kind of make it, make it make sense and share that through the journal and um, in a way that's hopefully also kind of fun. So, uh, so a lot of what you'll see will be maybe bits of me in rehearsal or working on something or in the studio um, and then also just talking about how that works and getting the band to come and say hello as well. Cool. Great. Well, Lori, I know that you have a busy day ahead of you, and so uh, I think uh, this would be a, a good place to end the conversation. But, uh, listeners, if you want to find out more about Lori Berkner, you can go to lauriberkner.com. Uh, Lori, any other websites you want to uh, ha suggest to listeners that they uh, go to if they want to find out more about the album itself or, or you in general? Well, we put lots of stuff on the Facebook page, um, so that's a good place to go. I, I also tweet about things a little bit differently. That's, um, that's sort of my very personal domain, <laughs> but, um, but Facebook is really the best place. And of course, if you want to find out about the actual campaign, you know, look me up on Kickstarter. Excellent. So, Lori, thank you so much for joining me today. I really enjoyed the conversation. And listeners, uh, again, please check out Lori's Kickstarter page on Kickstarter. Just search on Lori Berkner. Uh, as always, thanks for listening. Uh, if you have any emails or questions, you can shoot me an email, zooglobal at earthlink.net. You can rate and review this podcast in iTunes. And... Thank you for listening. And, Lori, thank you for joining me. Thanks. It was a total pleasure. Bye.